Well, good morning, everyone. We are continuing in our 316 series. We have this week and next week to complete that. And I'll just read the text of Colossians 316 to get started. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, as we dig into this obviously music and song-centered verse, I just have to say right up front that I am not musical at all. Although I try, and I have tried, I took piano lessons up to grade five or six and uh, was reasonably good at it, but it was all just mechanical. It was nothing like how Janice plays. It was just data on the page that I translated into muscles in my fingers. Um, I sometimes have difficulty hearing whether the next note is higher or lower than the note before. Um, But I'm gonna try, I'll try again. I've tried playing guitar as well. I'm gonna try to do that again as I'm on uh, this sabbatical break. But the best description I've ever heard of my singing is jailhouse. I'm always behind a few bars looking for the key. Um, But I deeply love and appreciate, just think about it, you'll get it in a minute. Um, But I do deeply love and appreciate music. I am fully aware uh, of its profound impact on my mental and emotional and spiritual state. And I deliberately seek out music to have a lasting effect on me. So even though I'm not musical myself, I appreciate music very much. I, I feel, as many of you do, the sort of visceral response in my mind and my body to the beauty of music. And beautiful truth combined with beauty in music resonates with me for days and days and, in fact, even a lifetime. So the interesting thing is that God did not only make us thinking creatures, nor did he only make us feeling creatures. God did not only give us intelligence or only give us emotions. God gave us both intelligence and emotions, and he made us creatures of both thought and feeling. And we discover that it's through music that thought, intelligence, emotion, and feeling are perfectly expressed together. And this is true of all the arts. Before any painters or writers out there send me angry emails, God has given us all of the arts to express both intelligence and emotion beauty and intellect. But I think it's music that, as Christians, we most commonly experience that blend. It's the most accessible to the majority of us, and thus we're most often encouraged to engage in it by the instructions that God has given us. As you go through scriptures, we're reminded as believers that song and praise and music are an important part of our everyday spiritual formation. Every Sunday, we want to sing our praise and hear God's truth. Word and song together, week after week after week, is how God has designed us. It is our training ground. Why has God made us in this way? That may be too much for this sermon and a little too philosophical. Why God made us this way? But more practically, we can ask, how can we use the fact that we are made this way and have been given the gift of music for God's glory, for his redemptive purpose, and for our joy? That we can probably start to tackle, and that is what Colossians 3.16 brings to us today. 
We need the blessing of song as a part of our whole Christian practice of worship, discipleship, liturgy, and catechism. And I'm going to explain those words shortly. And they all contribute together to our whole spiritual formation as followers of Jesus. And so today, in order to unpack the value of music and song in our Christian lives, we are taking as our text, as I said, Colossians 3.16, and we're going to address this text a little differently. I've kept the music team up here with me on stage, and we are going to unpack this verse in four parts. And so I'm going to teach on a part of the verse, and then we are going to have a song that goes along and teaches us what that part of the verse is teaching us. And so we're going to sort of have a back and forth here of teaching and music, teaching and music, teaching and music. So we'll process this verse not simply intellectually, as we often do in the message part of the service. You're not simply turning on your minds. I want you to turn on both your minds and your emotions as we experientially go through what Paul is teaching us here, this dynamic of word and music, of mind and emotion. So I'll just read Colossians 3.16 again, and I will emphasize the four parts. They come quite naturally if you have your Bibles open you'll see how they naturally sort of fall into four sections. And we'll look at the first one, and then we will sing to it. So Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so that first section there is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And let me just pray and ask God to bless our looking into his word this morning. Father God, when we come to your word, we don't just come to it intellectually and emotionally, but we come to it spiritually as well. And we need your Holy Spirit to show us how you would encourage us, how we would profit by your teaching from the Apostle Paul, how we would benefit from this time spent in your word. So I just ask that the Holy Spirit opens our minds and our hearts to what you would teach us today. In Christ's name, amen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is the discipleship portion of what Paul is teaching. He says it should dwell in us richly, the word of Christ dwelling in us. So what is the word of Christ? We have to ask that question to understand this. And most practically, when we think of the word of Christ or the words of Jesus, we could look to the teaching that Jesus did, his literal words. The book of Hebrews opens up this way in chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And so Jesus came from heaven, sent by the Father, to speak to us, to speak words to us, to engage our minds and engage our reason. The words that he spoke are like no other words ever spoken then or since. Luke 4.32 says that his listeners were astonished at his teaching because his words had authority. We have the words of Jesus, uh, and that they are the life and the light, we're told in John 8. If we follow them and follow him. To follow a rabbi or to follow his teaching as people follow Jesus means being a disciple of those words or those teaching, a follower of them. And so Paul is saying here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Literally, let the words of Jesus disciple you. But he says, don't just dwell on his words. He says, let them dwell in you. Jesus and his words are the bread of life, John says in John 6, 33. 
So Paul here is saying, eat that bread. Get Jesus and his words to dwell in you. We often think of dwelling on something. Paul here says, no, let the words dwell in you. Eugene Peterson, the pastor who wrote the paraphrased or the pastoral retelling of the Bible as the message, he has another book that I read that I can highly recommend. I've read a lot of his books. But if you have one book of Eugene Peterson that you need to read other than the message, it's a book called Eat This Book. And he doesn't mean eat his book. He means eat the Bible. And it's quite brilliant. And in it, Mr. Peterson writes, Christians do not simply learn or study or use scripture. We assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism, and justice in Jesus' name. And so the words of Jesus, if we let them dwell in us, like the bread of life, make us disciples of Jesus. Now, how does this tie into music? Music contributes to our discipleship by what and how it teaches us. Music tutors us and teaches us how we should feel and how we should respond from moment to moment and day by day as we work out the salvation that we have, as we work out our discipleship. Paul here says that this letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly is by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. Music makes the word of God rich in us. Now, how can we sum up all the words of Jesus in another way? Since we just finished 51 weeks in the book of Matthew, we could possibly think of some summary ways of thinking of the words of Jesus. We could think of his words in terms of the parables. We could think of his words as the instructions to the disciples, the correction of the Pharisees, the Sermon on the Mount. They are all of those things. But I think we can sum up them mostly by saying the words of Christ that must dwell in us is the gospel. The word of Jesus who is the word is the message of our weakness and his strength, of our rebellion and his rescuing us. The good news that sinners can be saved by grace. And so if we think of the word of Christ dwelling in us, as we think of the gospel dwelling in us, as we think of the message that Jesus came to give to the world dwelling in us, think about the music that we listen to and are about to listen to as we sing this next song. Instead of standing at home, I encourage you to stay seated. Just sit back, close your eyes, and let the gospel of Jesus penetrate your mind and heart, because we are going to now rehearse the gospel in musical form, and just let the truth of the gospel thrill us. Sure. 
Thank you again, music team. I love that modern hymn. I just absolutely love it. But secondly, in Colossians 3.16, Paul says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So in its most summarized form, we can say the word of Jesus is the gospel that we just sang. But as we saw earlier, Paul has a very practical purpose for all the words of Jesus, to teach us, to admonish us, which is like a combination of correct us and encourage us at the same time. We don't use that word admonish too much anymore, uh, but it is a correction, but it's also an encouragement that comes with us. It's a good word. We should probably use it more. And it's very cool that Paul says that this is happening through music. Teaching and admonishing, he says, is coming through music. I never thought of admonishing Isaac in song when I was parenting him. Maybe I should have tried it. I don't know what the melody is to clean up your room, but, you know, but, but we do teach with songs, right? Um, maybe just me singing to Isaac would be punishment enough. Um, that would work. But we do teach through songs, don't we? Uh, in your life groups this week, maybe you can share some of the teaching songs that you learned at school or in your family traditions. It's, it's how we get teaching to dwell in us. We, we use songs most often in Sunday school to help us memorize verses. Or in, in VBS, we have all those songs that teach us the theme and teach us the character of Christ that we are trying to learn. And it's in this sense that Paul says music is meant to be an important part of our catechism. Catechism is one of those sort of $50 Christian words that we hardly use anymore, but it's important, and music pay, plays as big a part in catechism now as it ever did. A catechism is a summary of the essential beliefs and doctrines of the Christian faith. Sometimes a catechism is set as a series of questions and answers. Uh, the Westminster Greater Catechism has 196 questions and answers, and it was pretty standard practice for believers to memorize all 196 questions and answers, or at least memorize the shorter catechism that only had 107 questions and answers. We don't catechize very often anymore. Today, probably only about 10% of all Christians might be able to recognize and answer only the first question of the Westminster Greater Catechism. Does anybody know what the first question is? You might know it if I say it. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now you just have 106 more to go for the shorter catechism. But... But we just today, we just don't catechize ourselves or our children in the same way that the church used to, except through music. And that's why I say song and music is so important to the modern church in terms of catechism, because it is really one of the only ways we catechize ourselves anymore. We teach ourselves scripture and we teach ourselves the truth of the word of God about God and ourselves through song. It's in music that we put many of God's truths into lyrics, and we teach ourselves over and over again what is right and good and true about God and ourselves. That's a catechism. That is catechizing ourselves. And so because music today is our primary form of catechism, it's extremely important that we only sing what is true. When we do choose songs to sing, it's so important that we get the right songs with the right words. And I am so, so pleased with our music leaders who are faithful in the songs that they select and who always talk with each other and with me about any lyrics that they're not sure of. There are a lot of songs that we listen to that sound amazing. 
and are very emotional and very inspiring, but the lyrics do not align with good theology or with the truth of the Bible, and so we have to set those songs aside. At other times, there's songs that have almost everything right except maybe one line, and we take the liberty to tweak one verse to just make it sound a little more biblical and a little more theologically accurate so that we make sure that when we are catechizing ourselves in song, we are teaching ourselves truth and not misleading ourselves. And so it's important. It's important what songs you listen to on your iPhone, what songs you listen to on the radio, the songs that you love and you repeat over and over and over again. Be aware, as Paul speaks to here in Colossians 3.16, be aware of what it is teaching and admonishing you. Because song can captivate our heart and we can get false truths into our heart if we're not careful. Um, the writer and scholar Warren uh, Wearsby wrote, it is just as wrong for a singer to sing lies as it is for a preacher to preach lies. And just think how that lands on you. If, I, if we think about a preacher preaching lies, we just, we instinctively know how terrible that sounds. But it is just as wrong for a singer to sing lies. And that's why it is so important. When Paul says here that in song we are teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, we're catechizing ourselves, we have to get our lyrics correct. We have to be careful what we dwell on and what we allow to dwell in us. And so this next song that we're going to sing is called We Believe. And it simply reminds us of the truths that we hold to be true. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. The crucifixion is historical reality. The crucifixion gave us victory over death. Jesus is returning. The church is victorious. And God's love never fails. All of these truths are in this song. And we teach ourselves these truths as we sing. This song is actually a summary of questions 9, 11, 46, 49, 50, 52, and 191 in the larger catechism. So aren't you glad that I'm only asking you to sing this song rather than memorize the catechism? Let's dwell on God's truth. Amen. 
even the self-awareness of that song when it says let our faith be more than anthems so yes we teach ourselves truth we catechize ourselves in song but we know that our faith is more than song we can't let our faith simply be the songs that we sing our faith goes beyond that into discipleship into teaching and admonishing and all of those things so we've looked at discipleship, we've looked at catechism or the teaching that happens through music. Now Paul says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And here Paul gets to the heart of the method that Paul is advocating. This is how he says we are to have the word of God dwell in us. This is how he says that we are to teach and admonish. It is through singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's not just reading big books and thinking deep thoughts. That's not the Christian life, although some people may look at Christianity and think that's most of it, and they don't realize all of the joy that comes through what, we, what comes from thinking those deep thoughts and expressing it in song. Paul says here it's not just intellectual, but it's experiential. The gospel is the teaching, the truth of Jesus, but he says it's so rich that it dwells in us richly. It's so good and joyful that we express it to each other in singing. Now here he says psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so there's a variety of kinds of music that we can employ in the church. And of course, we do employ a variety of music. Some people may think we employ too much variety. But Paul gives us at least three things here, and lots of stuff can fall into these categories. We have the psalms that are given to us. You guessed it in the book of Psalms. You don't get any extra credit for that answer. 
There are literally 150 songs that were written by various artists, a good number of them by King David, songs of ascent that were sung as people traveled up to the holy city and to the temple. There are psalms of wisdom, psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of lament, even psalms of judgment that we can pull from and sing in church and in our worship with God. You recognize the lyrics of the psalms written directly into many of our modern songs. But Paul also mentions hymns, which is an English word that we just literally transliterated from the Greek hymnos. Hymnos were songs of praise addressed to God. And so a hymn is technically not just a song that sounds like it was written a long time ago. A hymn is a song that is addressing praise towards God. In other words, a hymn is not a song about us, but a song about God directed to God. And the Apostle Paul himself, it seems, sometimes included little snippets of first century hymns in his letter writing. As you read through his letters, there are sections like Colossians 1, 15 to 20, or Philippians 2, 5 to 11, which were very likely the lyrics of hymns that were commonly sung by the early church. So we have psalms, we have hymns, and then Paul just says, and spiritual songs, all, all this other stuff that you want to do too. And there's lots of songs that we can sing about in our relationship to God and what he has done for us. God gave us the talent of music and gifted writers. All that we do can be done for the glory of God. And so new songs are good songs. New songs refresh us. They remind us. They restate the truth in a way that engages us in fresh ways. Psalm 96.1 actually instructs us to sing a new song to the Lord. So don't be afraid of new just because it's new. Now, new doesn't automatically mean it's good, but new can be refreshing and encouraging. Essentially, Paul is saying here that when we gather together, music not only helps us with our catechism and our discipleship, he's saying here that music helps us with our liturgy. And liturgy is another one of those special Christianese words that we don't use very often anymore. And liturgy can have a couple of meanings. In the way that we commonly use the word liturgy, even though we don't commonly use it anymore, it simply means the order of a service, the way in which, the order in which we do things. We have a liturgy here at Lakeside that most of you recognize. We even talked a little bit about the fact that we were breaking the liturgy today uh, because we normally sing one song and then the host introduces and prays and then we sing, uh, what is it? three songs, two songs, three songs usually, and then we have prayer, and then I preach, and then we have a closing song. So we have a liturgy. So liturgy can just mean how do you order the service. But more accurately, liturgy means literally the words that we choose to speak in worship. And so liturgy is the choice of words spoken in a worship service. And so in that sense, Paul is saying that by using psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we are focusing on the liturgy of our worship. We are focusing on the words we're choosing to use to worship. And so liturgy is important, and music is important to liturgy because it roots us in sacred and profitable routines and habits and traditions that guard the methods that we use to worship God rightly how we use songs, and the songs we choose to use guard us and teach us good habits. 
Most of us don't think that we're doing anything liturgical during a Lakeside Church live stream, but we actually are, and music invites us into the best parts of liturgy. It invites us into the sacred habits and the sacred words that we choose to use, and strong ties to scriptural truth. And so in the sequence of our liturgy today, we're now going to sing a liturgical psalm, which is a hymn of praise and thanksgiving to God, which the band Third Day lifted right out of Psalm 36. And so this is a spiritual new song. It is a hymn to God, and it is a psalm, all three in one. Meditate on these lyrics.
we were practicing that song earlier and Ian said, oh, this is a classic. It was released in 2000. How can songs released in 2000 be classics? Like, how old are we anyway? Oh my goodness. It probably is a Hall of Famer though. I don't know that we'll ever leave that song behind. That's one of the good ones. So that was Psalm 36 that we sang and uh, a song and a hymn towards God and his praising him. But finally, in this four-part verse, Paul says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we've looked at discipleship, we've looked at catechism, we've looked at liturgy in the use of song, and now we look at worship. Paul started with the words of Christ, teaching and admonishing, flowed into the psalms and hymns and songs, and now it concludes in thankfulness. And what begins rooted in truth, and I think the order is not accidental here, what begins rooted in word and truth and reality is what Paul says then flows into experience and emotion and gratitude. And so taking words and putting them into song is what Paul says we should be doing. And then thankfulness in our hearts is what Paul says we should be feeling when we do that. Take the words of Christ. Let them dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish each other through song. That's what you do. And then Paul says this is what you feel. You feel thankfulness as you do it. You feel gratefulness and worship. And I think this is where we most often think of the term worship, when we have that emotional sense of gratitude and thankfulness, and it sort of pours out in song. That's when we feel like we're worshiping, even though everything that we do is a spiritual act of worship. This is where our use of the word sort of defaults to, oh, we're worshiping when we're singing with thankfulness. But that's not how Paul means it. Paul means that we worship in all of these things that we do, the teaching, the admonishing, the reading of the word, all of these things are acts of worship. Worship itself does carry a specific meaning. We, we worship, we're declaring the great value and worth of something. That's what worship means. It means you valued something. Some people worship their favorite rock star. Some people worship politicians. We can worship our children or our spouse. Some people worship the maple leaves. I mean, I don't know why, but 100,000 fans at a college football game are engaged in an act of worship. And as I use those examples, you realize that it can be dangerous what it is that we choose to worship. What is it that we choose to place the highest value on in our life? There are a lot of false idols and false ideologies that we can worship if we're not careful with our hearts. God is meant to be the highest value. He is the highest value in our life and in creation. Obviously, as Christians, we worship God. He's of greatest worth. Jesus is our greatest treasure. Once we are captured by the words and the reality of Jesus and they dwell in us richly, we would sell everything that we own if we had to in order to buy the field that the treasure of Jesus is buried in. We would put Jesus higher than everything in our life, everything else that has any value. Jesus is higher and so we worship him and nothing else. In addition, the word used for worship most often in Hebrew carries with it the implied action of bowing down or of humbling oneself at the same time as we declare the greatness of the other. And so as we worship with music, we are both declaring the value of God and at the same time humbling ourselves. We are saying, you are God and we are not. It's declaring God's worth and our humility at the same time as we consider his great value. And so as we close here, 
uh, the section of text with thankfulness in your hearts towards God. Just, again, sit back, close your eyes, sing along, and meditate on your hearts the thankfulness and gratitude and worth and value of God in your life.
been if you're like me and slightly tone deaf and aren't really sure which direction the music is going, that you need to, we need to encourage ourselves to lean into music and make it an important part of our discipleship and participate in musical worship. God intends music and song for our good and for his glory. And so do follow the instruction and the example of Paul given to us in Colossians 3.16. Once more, it's very simple. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. For many people, it is through the music of the gospel that they first encountered the gospel. Maybe that's you today. Maybe it's singing and music that drew you to church. That, you know, the guy talking was kind of boring, but the music was amazing. Maybe you heard the gospel. Maybe you heard about the love of God first through music. Maybe you're wondering, what are these people so joyful about? Why do they sing this way? I don't understand. I don't normally see people singing with joy and gladness and thanksgiving in their hearts in my everyday life at work or at the grocery store. But when I come to church, I see people filled with joy and expressing it in song. And you're asking, what is that about? Who is this God that they celebrate? Why does this music capture my mind and resonate with my heart? I didn't come here today expecting to be captivated by what went on at church, but sometimes you go into church or you even watch it online and you are captivated by the music. That is the Spirit drawing you to the truth and the reality of who God is, speaking to the whole you, speaking to the mind and the heart and the soul, speaking to intellect and emotion and identity. And so if you're coming for the first time to understand who God is and why Christians are so joyful about him, listen to the gospel, to the good news that it is being sung into your life and respond to the invitation of Jesus to lay down your old sin, lay down your brokenness. His goodness is chasing after you. Walk with new life in him. The music can be the way that you are introduced to God for the first time. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have made us the way you've made us, that we're not just minds and we're not just hearts, that we're not just intellects and we're not just emotions, that we are both intellect and emotion. We are mind and heart together, and it comes together so beautifully in song. We love this instruction that you give us all through your word, what Paul has taught us here, that song is important, that your truth is important, that song teaches us your truth when we use it wisely and that we can glorify you, and we can lift your name up high in music, and it's for your glory and for our joy. Thank you for this beautiful reality of song and music and worship in our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.